everything you know about God is wrong. Everything you know about God is wrong. When we think of God and we think of relationship with God, many times we think of how to behave and how to act. In fact, the number one response that I get when I ask a question like, hey, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? People will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. People who profess to be Christians say this. People who don't profess to be Christians say this. The, uh, the answer always rests in what we do. And yet that is the absolute opposite of what Jesus speaks about. Today we're going to talk about a topic that's so important. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Now this has powerful implications in every area of life. It has powerful implications in your marriage. Because if you're in a marriage, then you, your relationship with your spouse will be deeply affected by your relationship with Christ. It has a powerful effect in your job. Because your relationship with your coworkers will, have, will be deeply affected by your relationship with Christ. You see, Jesus affects every area of your life. But we have to start in this place where everything we think we know about God is wrong. So where we pick up our text, it's going to be found in Matthew chapter 7. It's at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to people who are following him. Mostly believers, disciples. And he's talking to them about kingdom ethics and relationship with him. It's powerful. Then he says one of the most controversial and scariest, if you're in Christ, this should scare you. If you call yourself a Christ follower, the words that I'm about to say should shock and, and really startle you. So we're going to pick up from Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read from two verses, two verses that I think can change your life. So are you ready? All right, this is going to be fun. So would you stand with me as we read God's word? I want you to read these words in a nice, loud voice. I'll count to three, and we'll all read them together. Are you ready? All right, let's... <laughs> you suck. All right. All right, are you ready? Yeah, all right, all right. Here we go. I know it's going to be a serious subject, but be engaged, okay? All right. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evil doers. This is God's word. Have a seat. Are we having fun yet? Nice. So, I was, uh, I was in Manhattan. I was in my early 20s or late teens. I can't remember. But I, I came across a guy who had a game. It was a card game. I wasn't sure that I had seen this game before. Although I had seen it in New York, I had never played it. So it was three folded cards. Anybody familiar with this? Anybody really good at this? Yeah, yeah, there's a few of you who took my money. All right, so so he started to, to plus the thing. Now, here's the thing. In order for this to be effective, in order for this game to work, you needed people like two or three people who would pretend to be players who would win and who would lose in order for you to get sort of sucked in. Well, I got sucked in, right? And so I'm like there, and it's like, oh. And then the lady picked the wrong card, and I was like, no way, it's in the middle. And sure enough, it was in the middle. She lost her money. Did it again. Oh, no, it's on the side, and she picked the middle. I was like, no, and, 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 and so I kept on picking in my mind. And he goes, hey, you want to play? And I said, sure. Because I thought that I had, knew, I had known everything that I needed to succeed in the game. I thought that all the information that I had was correct information. And what I didn't know is that I was being deceived. Not only was I being deceived by the people around me, I was being deceived by myself, because anybody knows that you can't play another man at his own game, especially when it comes to cards. When it's their game, they have control of the deck. They have control of the cards. They have control of the outcome. You are just a bystander. Well, I hadn't learned that lesson deeply yet until they took my money. When they took my money, I remember standing there looking, because you know what they do. They take your money, and then everybody, you know, it's like a bunch of cockroaches. They just all go in a bunch of different directions, and you're left standing there. What just happened? I tell you that story. It's because I think Satan is playing a three-card Monty on us. I think what he has us doing is he's having us look at other people and say, oh, I'm better than them perhaps even our own past. I think he has us looking at the circumstances. Oh, I know the right answer. I know what to do. I've played this game before in my head, only to realize that in the end, we don't lose our money, we lose our souls. And so Jesus loves you so much that he doesn't want you to perish this way. He wants you to live But some of you, some of you, some of the people sitting in your seat are convinced you got the game covered. You think you know what Christianity is all about. You think that Christianity is a matter of behaving and acting, of dressing and doing, of saying the right words at the right time, being in the right place and doing the right thing. You think that that is a walk in Christ. And I'm telling you, he's fooled you. You've bought into the game, and you'll lose more than $20. So let's listen to the words of Jesus. And as I stated, stated before, 
Everything you know about God is wrong. And so I'm going to ask you, with humility, to walk in Christ. Go, God, I could be wrong here. I could be, I think I know the way the cards are supposed to go. I think I know the way the game is supposed to go. I think that I'm trusting in the wrong things. So open my heart. Some of you have been in Christ for decades and you're wrong. You've been standing by the game too long. Satan has you mesmerized. Some of you have just, just started to think about the concept of Christianity. And hopefully today will be enlightening for you. Some of you have grown up in the faith and you have no idea what it is to be in Christ. So let's look. And we're going to look, and listen to me, we're going to get out of the little kiddie side, the kiddie pool side, and we're going to swim in the deepest parts of the ocean. And we're going to talk about motives and heart conditions. Because listen to me, If you think that walking in Christ is just being a good person, if you think that walking in Christ is just not giving in to that old sin that you used to give in to, if you think that walking in Christ, and many of us think that walking in Christ is just that, not sleeping around, not walking, listen to me, if that's what you think it is, then you've missed it all together. So I want you to listen because your soul is at stake here. And here's here's the big idea. Here's the big idea for today. That Jesus is more, it doesn't just modify behavior. He transforms the heart. Jesus doesn't just modify your behavior. He doesn't, he does, doesn't stop you from drinking alcohol or stop you from sleeping around, or uh, get you to say the right words, or go to the right place, or worship in the right way. Jesus doesn't just modify behavior. He transforms hearts. So I want you to see it in Matthew. I'll read it to you again. Jesus is talking, of course. What's interesting is that Jesus, uh, just before this verse, Jesus is talking to pastor types. And now he's talking to parishioner types. So whether you're a a teacher in Christ or whether you just walk in Christ, Jesus is, is going to correct every one of us. This is convicting for us all. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's mind blowing. Jesus is saying, and the thing about Lord, Lord, it's the. When you say, Lord, Lord, you're saying an affectionate and passionate statement. Whenever um, in this culture they said any word twice or a name twice, it's because it was passionate and affectionate. Speaking like, so you can imagine, remember when David, his uh, King David lost his son in the battle, his son Absalom? What does he do? He goes, Absalom, Absalom because it was passionate and affectionate. When Jesus is speaking to Martha, what does he go? Martha is doing a bunch of activities, and uh, Mary is doing what's best, and Jesus goes to Martha. He goes, Martha, Martha, because it's passionate and affectionate. 
Jesus is saying that there are some who are going to come with the right words, knowing the right statements, knowing the Christianese. They're going to say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says two things. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, here's the thing with that statement. At this point, that reinforces what you believe about Christianity. You go, oh, oh, Christianity is a doing business. So I better make sure that I don't curse. I better make sure I act right. I better make sure I do my uh, duties and all this other stuff. And you're saying, oh, yeah, that's what it is. But Jesus clarifies it because it's not just the will of the Father. You know how we know? In the very next statement, in the very next statement, Jesus is confronted by their statements and how they got it wrong. How do they respond to this? They say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, there's that talk again. There's that affection again. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? Jesus is not about modifying behavior, but transforming hearts. It's possible, listen to me, it's possible to do good things with evil intentions. It's possible to, listen to me, it's possible to be generous to somebody in sin. It's possible to forgive a spouse in sin. Why? Why? Because our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts will continue to fortify themselves. Our hearts will continue to go back to our true gods that we really love and worship. See, there are gods that compete for our affection. And many times, rather than running to Jesus, we run to those gods for strength and courage and comfort and approval. Listen, so Jesus is saying, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and you think you're in, you're in, because you said, Lord, Lord. And you're going to say, but look at what we did. Look at not only the words of our mouth, but the actions of our lives. And Jesus is going to go, no, don't you get it? Don't you get it? Your heart was still longing for the wrong thing. And here's the telltale sign. He says it. And it's so subtle, you'll miss it. Because our, our antennas are so tuned to the do thing, we'll miss what Jesus is really saying. Then I will tell them plainly, and this is the, this is the crux of the issue. I never knew you. Then he says, away from me, you evildoer. Get out of here. I never knew you. What is Jesus saying when he's saying, I never knew you? Well, this word, knew, is an interesting word. It's a word that has deeper meaning than just cognitive. In other words, knew is not mental ascension. Like, I know that two plus two is four. Don't you know that? Sure. We know that. 
But when I say, I know my wife, well, that's a totally different concept. See, when we're talking about Jesus saying he knew, is he saying, oh man, I can't believe it. Your name is not on the list. You blew it. No. Jesus is saying that new is experiential. It's having experience with. It's relating to. It has to do with being in intimacy. For instance, Mary, when she uh, was told by the angel, do you remember this? Mary's told by the angel, you're going to have a kid. She goes, oh, that's great. One problem with the plan. Just one. She goes, I've never known a man. It's the same Greek word. The same Greek word that Jesus uses here. She's not saying, Mary at that point wasn't saying, oh, I've never met a man in my life. No, what she's saying is that I've never been intimate with a person. How can I be pregnant? Jesus is saying, that it's possible for us to say the right words and do the right things and not be intimate with him, to rely on something other than Jesus to do or say, to manipulate God, as it were, in order to get what we want. Okay, so if this is true and there are ways to... Remember what I told you, three-card Monty, you've been fooled? That many of us are following Jesus but not following Jesus, we're still following our old God. So I remember being told this story about a guy, and this is a good example of this. Uh, A guy who was um, just like sort of a playboy kind of guy, would sleep with as many women as he could get his hands on. And then he came to Christ and stopped sleeping with women because he knew that that was wrong. But everybody in the group said that he was the most domineering person that they ever met. You see, his heart had not yet been changed. He went from dominating women to dominating people in his Bible study, but it was the same strings pulling on that heart. Because there are idols within our hearts that we obey and do the will of. So I want to talk to you about the four root idols that are in your heart that can sabotage your relationship with Christ, that can have you blinded to what God would have for you and your marriage. So let's get into it. The first one that I want to talk to you about is power. Power. This is, this is a very important one. Power. Now, what do I mean when I mean power? By the way, look up at me. Look up at me. These four things, right now I'm going to explain to you most of the pain in your life. I'm going to explain to you why. Have you ever done something in your life, looked back on it and said, why on earth did I do that? What was I thinking? Have you ever dated someone and said, how could I have been so crazy to date that person, right? One of these four are what moved your heart. They're the idols. They're the three-card Monty. They're the lies that Satan gives to keep you deluded. Power is one of them. A longing for influence or recognition. 
power. So you see, here's what happens. When power is our idol, when power is our idol, we'll do anything to get influence or recognition. This for me is very, 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 I, I act out on this a lot. When, when I look to build this church, many times it's not my love for Jesus that's stirring me to grow you in Christ and grow our influence for Christ. You know what it is? It's power. I, I want to extend my own fame. I want to extend my own influence. Sometimes, sometimes, you can do godly things for ungodly reasons. And if you don't know that about yourself, you'll fool yourself into thinking that you're walking in Christ when in fact you're walking in your idols. The first one we're talking about is power. Have you, are you, obeying this? In a relationship, listen to me, in a relationship, this can exist almost constantly. For influence or recognition, so, say for instance, you uh, clean the dishes, and right, you haven't cleaned the dishes in forever, and usually your spouse cleans the dishes, and you're in the relationship, and you'll go throughout the day, and you know the dishes are done, and you go, and you'll say something like this: "Didn't you even notice that I cleaned the dishes? I was exhausted when I came home, and didn't you realize?" how hard I worked on that. What are you doing? You're trying to claim power. You're trying to gain acclaim. You're trying to gain influence or recognition. Not because, you didn't do it because, man, I want to serve my spouse. I want to love my, uh, my spouse. Not because of that, but because you wanted recognition. Do you see how, th- how evil that is? Do you see how you're just using the washing the dishes as a means to get what you want rather than loving Jesus? You see, because when you wash the dishes and you do it for Jesus' sake, then if they notice or don't notice, who cares? Because you didn't do it for them, you did it for Jesus. And Jesus gave you all the joy in the world. So the fact that they didn't notice makes no difference to you because it was in Christ, that, in it's Christ's name that you did it. Does that make sense? You see, it's possible it's possible to think that we're living in Christ, but not effective. Not really. The next, uh, the next uh, idol we'll look at, and this is a big one, it's control. Write that down. A longing to have everything go according to, somebody say the next word. My. My. All right, let's say this. Let's, let's read this together. Control. A longing to have everything go according to my plan. Can I tell you that if, if the law would allow most people, I would, say over, I would say most divorces happen because of this. That this should be, a, a, you, know, you know how people have to write a reason for the divorce? And, you know, people have to write, you know, things like irreconcilable differences or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let me tell you what the real reason is. A longing to have everything go according to my plan. 
The, ne the next time you get into a fight, ask yourself, how is control playing a part? The next time you get into an argument with your spouse, ask yourself, how is control playing a part in that fight? We don't want to admit it. The reason we don't want to admit it is because we think we're being righteous. But I'm, I'm being righteous. I'm being good. And the reason I'm fighting is because she's being disrespectful or he's trying to take advantage of me or she's not listening or he's not caring or something like that. But the fact is, is that you're running not to Jesus. You're running to your idol, control. And control is pulling the strings in your life. Have you ever lost your mind? when things didn't go your way? I mean, have you ever like really lost your mind when things didn't go your way? So it's like a, uh, a week ago. Let me tell you something. This is so easy for me to fall into. It's so easy for me to fall into. I have to, I have to constantly check myself for this. Here's what'll happen. We'll be getting ready uh, to go out the door. And these are just examples that I'm giving you. And um, so we'll be getting ready to go out the door and I'll be, and it's a rare thing, right? Because it takes a while to make me look this beautiful, right? So it takes a while. So I'm getting ready to get out the door and, and, and I'm on time and I'm ready. They're not waiting for me. It's like the opposite. It's like the reverse universe, right? I have three girls waiting for me downstairs and I'm upstairs making sure that every, every strand of hair is blocking my bald spots. And, um, and all that. And so that's usually the way it happens. But let it be reversed. Let it be reversed. I'm waiting for them. Y you know what? It, you guys are just inconsiderate. You are, not only are you inconsiderate, you're being disobedient. I'll use Christian talk. You guys are not only inconsiderate and disobedient, you're, you're, you're being rebellious because you know that we're supposed to leave by a, a particular time and we're not. And I'm getting more fumed and I'm getting more amped up. And I'm getting, you know why? Because someone's plucking at my idol. Because someone is stirring up my real God control. Hey, I'm a mess. What about you? Where does control work in your life? When things don't go your way, is that when you lose? Let me ask you something. When things don't go your way, do you? Now, here's an opportunity. We have an opportunity to do one of three things. One is that we can outwardly explode. We can go, you dirty, how could you? You better get in line. Threaten. We could, we could say, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to take your allowance from you. If we don't do this, I'll, I'll, I'll deny you something. We can out, you know, lash out. To, we can do a, a million different things to gain our control. Or we can stew in it because we're going to be in control. And we're going to stand and we're just not going to talk about it. And, but don't worry. Try to talk to us in the car. We're not talking much. Hey, honey, where you think, what do you think about uh, meeting with the Rodriguez? Oh, man. Yep. I guess so. Yeah, what do you think we should talk about when we get there? I don't know. Because I'm in control. I'm still controlling the situation. I am communicating to the person. I want them to feel badly. And, but now I want them to figure it out. I'm still 
in control. That's two ways. We can lash out or we can hold it in. The third way is to go, Jesus, I can't believe how not in control I am. But it's a comfort to me to know that you are in control. That you, in fact, this is a surprise to me. This is not a surprise to you. And so, Lord, would you continually have me rest in you? Would you continually have me trust that you know what's best, even though I've already told them, they already know, me saying it again is not going to help. I'm going to trust in you. See, either Jesus will have the power, or you will have the power. Either Jesus will have control, or you will have the control. But if you live your life for these two idols, thinking that you're walking in Christ, you will not do well. Third idol of our heart is comfort. This is a big deal. A longing for pleasure. Comfort. When this is our God and Jesus is not, we will, listen to me, we will vilify anyone or anything. We'll quit jobs. We'll break off relationships. We'll do whatever it takes when comfort is our God, a longing for pleasure. So here's how this works. So you've been in Christ or you've been coming to church for three months or three years. And what happens? Something doesn't go your way and you're stressed. And another thing doesn't go your way and you're stressed. And someone cursed you out and someone didn't give you and then you didn't get the job and then you got fired from the job you did get. And all this other stuff. And stress is building up. And then you go, I can't take this anymore. I need to find comfort. You ever wonder why uh, people who are in a 12-step program, have you ever wondered why you see people with 13 years go out and use again? It's because their God was comfort the whole time and they never addressed it. The reason that they relapse is because in the end, they would go back to worshiping their God. Take the stress from me. Give me pleasure. I want not to be in this situation. So they'll relapse. They'll, they'll be in front of a TV screen or a, a computer screen and watch horrible things. They'll, they'll spend more than they have the finances to. They'll eat at one in the morning stuff that's going to give them a heart attack in just six years. They will, listen to me, they will file for divorce. They will, they will, when comfort is interrupted and comfort is your God, all sorts of bad things happen. Now, imagine if Jesus was your Lord when you're out of your comfort zone. What happens if Jesus is Lord? Let me tell you what the response is. Sometimes the response is tears. God, I'm so tired. I'm so, I used to, um, not I used to, I still, um, it still happens sometimes. But like I have one day off, right? And so when anything comes in to ruin my day off, what I mean by ruin my day off is like my wife will go, oh, we, you know, the car needs to be fixed or, you know, we need to go shopping or, you know, just something that's other than what I, I go, 
I go, I don't want to go shopping or, you know, something like that. Um, but beyond that, I get really, really angry. You know why? Because I don't believe that Christ could give me the comfort and the rest that I need in the time that I have. And I need to. And someone else is taking what I need to do. You see, when comfort is our God, rather than running to Jesus, we get angry, we blow a stack, we lose our cool. When comfort is our God. So what happens if, if Jesus is our God and our comfort is threatened? What do we do? Well, here's what we do. We go, God, this is the truth about me. Right now, I just want to sit on the couch and read a book. But that opportunity is not open to me. Would you be a comfort to me? Would you come for me as I drive? Would you come for me as I'm in traffic? Would you come for me as I'm on long lines and waiting for other people? Would you come for me as I have to give forgiveness throughout the day to people that I love? Would you give me comfort? You see? But when comforts are God, all we can do is blow up. All we can do is blow up. Fourthly, approval. This is a big one. Approval. A longing to be accepted and desired. Women, some of you have slept with men that you have no business sleeping with and you, all you were looking for is longing to be accepted or desired. Men, some of you are still paying off a card for spending more money on a girl that is not even around anymore. Like she's on her fourth boyfriend after you. But you're still paying off the card. You know why? Because you wanted approval. See, listen, listen, listen. When Jesus is your God, when Jesus is your God, you don't stay in unhealthy relationships because you need to be loved. You know why? You're already loved. Listen, you're loved to your toes to the highest heavens. You're loved down deep. You're loved well. When approval is your God, then you've got to get it from everyone and everything. You've got to get it from work. You've got to get it from your spouse. You've got to get it from your kids. You've got to get it from, you have to get it from everything else. You know what you have to do? You have to spend three Hours on Facebook counting your likes. You have to find out. You have to switch on to your Twitter over and over to see who has retweeted you. When approval is your God, you have to... Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Christians, when approval is your God, you'll do everything that you're supposed to do as a Christian. You'll dress the way you're supposed to dress. You'll act the way you're supposed to act. And let me tell you something. You'll be bound for hell because you're looking for the approval of others. This message is my effort not to bow down to your approval. We are all bound for hell if we are living according to these gods, power, control, comfort, approval. Do you see how they're working out in your life? Do you see how they play a part in your life? Do you see how you're not turning to Jesus, but rather turning to your idols? Do you see how you bow down in obedience to your idols and not to Christ? It'll be, listen, you'll, 
you'll be single for a long time. And you'll tell yourself, well, I'm going to compromise my morals. Why? Why? Because i got to be in control. And I want approval. You'll be working at a job. And you'll have to fudge some numbers. Why? Because you're all about power. And, and you tell yourself, well, they don't pay me enough. You tell yourself, well, you know what? They don't give me uh, the right pay or the right recognition. So I'm going to make it happen for myself. What you're doing is you're bowing down to an idol. So listen to me, beloved. How do we run from this? Well, the first thing we do is we come to Christ and we go, God, here's the truth about me. Right now, and I'll, I'll tell you what, in my heart, the thing that I'm battling most with is the idol of comfort. The idol of comfort. Anybody who comes in, I just, I get so upset inside. And so, right now, what I'm doing is I'm going, okay, God, here's the truth about me. I don't find my comfort in you. The truth about me is that the rest that I'm supposed to find in Christ, I find it in other things. That's the truth about me. Would you change my heart? Would you transform my heart? I don't want just my behavior modified. I want my heart transformed. I don't just want a little band-aids over cancer. What I want is a revolution in my soul. Listen, listen, listen. What's yours? What's yours? Christians, do you make people feel judged? Do you make people feel less than because they're not meeting your standard of Christianity? You're not bowing down to Jesus. I know you think you're being righteous, but you're not. You're bowing down to power. Christian, are you trying to make sure that everybody doesn't curse around you and act in a particular way and all that other stuff? Watch out. You might be buying down to control, making sure that you make sure that everybody acts in a particular way. You can do this, by the way. Control, you can do it with kisses or curses. Control, you can... You can I want to be helpful to you. And the examples that I give, I want them to be meaningful to you. But it's possible to manipulate your spouse with kindness and be bowing down. You think it's just good marriage principles. And what you're doing is you're bowing down to control. Is it comfort? Is it approval? So what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. But we're going to um, examine ourselves. And the lights don't have to be dimmed. And the music doesn't have to play. We're going to examine ourselves. We're going to examine ourselves to see how we fall into these idols. And then we're going to go to Jesus. So we're going to tell him the truth. Just like I told you with the comfort, if yours is control, if yours is power, if yours is approval, I don't care. Um, if it's control or comfort or approval or power, listen, I don't care which one it is. But what I do want you to do 
is I want you to take a minute, number one, to confess it, no excuses. God, I know before the reason that I said that I yelled at them is because they disrespected me for the last time, but the fact is I want to control them. And I could have just as easily told them, I'm not, I could have done it in a healthy way. I could have said, hey, listen, I'm not participating in this. I'm not gonna, if, if you don't do what I've asked you to do, then I, I just, I, I'm putting up healthy boundaries. Is it control? Is it approval? Is it power? Is it comfort? I want you to pray. I want you to confess it to God. And then I want you to ask God for forgiveness. I want you to ask God, I want you to go, God, here's the truth about me. I'm not running to you. There's a story, Spurgeon told it before we get into our time of focus. And I want you to ready your heart for this because there's not going to be music. It's going to be silent. And most of you don't know how to sit quiet for two minutes. It's just we're, we're overstimulated. And so I want us to give a sign. So we're going to stay for two minutes. That means hold your bladder for two minutes. That means silence the phones for two minutes. That means don't walk out for two minutes. We're ending the service early so that we can still have space in these two minutes and you don't have to run out. But a story Spurgeon tells that I think really embodies what I'm trying to say here. It's resting and trusting in Jesus not resting and trusting in our behaviors or in our actions. It's trusting in Christ, not trusting in our idols. Spurgeon tells this story. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a, a preacher from like over 100 years ago. He still, his sermons still move me to tears. He tells this story about a man, and I've, you've heard this before if you've been here for a while. I've said this story before, but it's one I should say every six months because it so powerfully illustrates this concept of worshiping the true God. He tells the story about a man who goes to a king. He's a peasant. And he, um, he grows a watermelon. And he brings to the king his watermelon because it's the biggest, most beautiful watermelon he's ever grown. It's spectacular. He has to put it on a cart. It's wonderful. So he brings to the king, and he goes, oh, king. He finally gets before the king. He goes, oh, king, you are great and lofty. This is your poor servant's greatest watermelon he's ever grown. I have never grown anything like this, and in all my years, I don't expect to ever see a watermelon this grand, beautiful in color and in size. I offer it to you, King, because I could think of no greater honor for this watermelon than to be enjoyed in your presence. The king goes, how many acres do you have? He goes, I have a 10-acre farm. He goes, I love your gift. You have 20 acres now. He doubles it. And there's a nobleman who's standing in the court, you know, the court uh, of the king. And the nobleman goes, wow, if a watermelon gets you 20 acres, how much would like a horse get you? So he comes, and he brings his horse 
And he says, oh king, live forever. You are a great and mighty king. This is the greatest Clydesdale in my stable. This horse is magnificent in every respect. It is the strongest. It is the fastest. It is the most beautiful. This horse is my prize possession. And I could think of no greater honor for this horse than to be given and ridden by you, my king. So the king comes down. And he takes the horse and he looks at the guy and he says, thank you. And he takes the horse and walks away. As he's walking away and he's getting across the court, he turns around and sees the, the nobleman. And he, because the nobleman just realized he lost a Ferrari. <laughs> and so he has this face of the, how could you do this? And he goes, I bet you're wondering why I'm taking the horse and not giving you anything. Thank you for the horse. But when the man gave me the watermelon, he gave it to me. When you gave me the horse, you were giving it to yourself. Beloved, this is how we come to God. We come to God with our broken marriage because we want to control it. And we say, God, I'll go to church for two weeks if you fix this marriage. What are we doing? We're trying to control God. God, would you submit to my God control? There's all sorts of uh, 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 positions opened at our job. And we come to God and we go, God, I want this position of power and influence, but I will pray and I will give and I will, if you'll give me my real God power. You go, you go to your husband, you say, God, I will give my husband what he wants so long as he um, provides these things for me. You're, you're all about comfort. You're not about Jesus. See, you're, even the righteous things that we do, when we do them for ourselves, they're nothing to do with Christ. Very regularly, I ask myself this question. It's simply this. Jesus, am I doing this for you or am I doing this for me? Am I correcting my kids for you or am I correcting? Because it's the right thing to correct my kids, right? But I'm asking not about motive. I mean, not about action. I'm asking about motive because he transforms our hearts, not just modifies our